that you're born an Italian if you want your life to be great. See that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. From the moment you're a small bambino, you eat pizza, you drink vino. Then they make you roly-poly. You get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm your host, John Viola, and happy to be back today with my partner in arms, the notorious P.O.B., Pat O'Boyle, recording now the week after Thanksgiving, and uh, hopefully everybody's enjoying a little bit of downtime. Pat, how was your holiday? Our pre-conversations are always the best part of the podcast, and with today's guest, Victoria, we were discussing my movement to the pie. I want Italian-American pumpkin pie. Why should we not have our own pie? That's a pie for the Italian people. I'm not saying don't have pumpkin pie. You're saying add it. But we need an identity pie, a pie of identity. And I, that is my project, the, I, the, the fig chestnut pie of identity. It's been really well received. I mean, we shared it last year, and then we got a lot of requests for it this year. So we've been sharing the recipe that you did. Daniela Thierry helped to actually yes, test yes. the recipe. So it's, got, it's an official recipe now. It's on her website. I was never going to go public with it. And I text because we're like BFFs. I texted her about it Thanksgiving night two years ago. And she's like, she's the one that brought it to the world. She did a great job. I mean, she recipe tested it. She's because that because she's the best. I mean, she's the bomb. Her and yeah. Christian are the bomb. Her and her husband yeah. are, are like the greatest people in the world. But I have to thank her because she brought it out. She brought it to the world. And this is going to be a movement. Yeah, it's been a very kind of relaxing week after the holiday. I'll tell you what, yesterday I was actually a guest on another podcast called The New Theory Podcast with a paisan named Tom Levecchia, who's actually a listener and he's got this great podcast. It's been around for 300 something episodes and he just, you know, interesting conversations. And, um, you know, I got to tell you, sitting with him and talking, first of all, his podcast was live to tape. So they just hit record and it goes and it's so nice to be a guest and be the one answering the questions and relaxing and the idea that he doesn't have to edit these things i was like jealous it was it's really interesting to listen to other italian american podcasts out there support the community support people are doing and it really leads to why today we've got the interview that we have which is with a young italian american woman who as part of her public profile as a professional italian american has her own podcast that's just come out very very recently and I'm really happy to have her on today. I know, Pat, you guys have spent some time together doing some virtual events with our guests. So I want to introduce everybody to Victoria Passarella, who is the founder and head of the Italian-American Leadership Network, an expert in leadership, in organizational structure, such a resume that comes to table, and now a podcast host. So, Victoria, welcome to the other Italian-American podcast. Thank you so much for the warm welcome. It's amazing to be here. I'm such a supporter of the Italian American podcast. It's part of my weekly routine. So to be on here is an honor. Oh, so you listen to these the shows every week? Every week. It's oh. my beginning of the week routine. I, st- I don't understand it. Advanced apologies then. <laughs> Send the therapy bills to our office. That's, I'm sure that's- We uh... should have joint sessions. 
<laughs> That's roughly true. Anybody's whacked out enough to listen to us, come on to our group session, yeah. and we're going to figure out what's behind all of it. The saving therapy bills. So I'm glad. I'm really honored and glad to hear that you're a listener to the show. And before we talk about your new show, let's talk a little bit about what inspired it, because you are the engine behind this new Italian American Leadership Network. Tell us in the audience a little bit about what the Italian American Leadership Network is. Sure. So the Italian American Leadership Network was inspired from years of, for myself, working as an Italian-American, but working in different environments where I was definitely a fish out of water. So all of my college experiences, moving to Manhattan for work, I got two master's degrees from Columbia University, where I was pretty much the only Italian-American there. Did they make any condescending comments when you were there? Did you ever get any? Oh, a thousand percent. Let's have them. Give us the top 10 worst comments. <laughs> They're like, I can't believe you got here comments. Because I've heard Absol- you go There ahead. was absolutely things like that. Um, people just talking in front of me, not necessarily about me, but talking in front of me about the mafia. Like if someone was successful in any way, saying how, oh, they must be in the mafia. I if they walked- were Italian and successful. Yes. They were entirely successful. It has to be dirty money. Yes. I was at a like work party, like a birthday party type of thing in the office. And they were openly talking about that. And I just got up and left. I was like, I can't take this anymore. Um, so many comments when people would ask about your background, you would just see their body language change. It was just so, so rude, so condescending. But the main thing was that really just feeling a sense of isolation in particular because I worked in career and professional development at Columbia and Barnard. So I worked there. I was going to school there for grad school. Um, So I was constantly surrounded this Ivy League community, which has many positive things as well, but definitely being isolated and working in career and professional development and just seeing how to navigate career and leadership and all of that. There's all these ins and outs that I didn't learn growing up. And I know that my friends and my family didn't learn growing up. And I would consistently talk to my friends, my family. I would come home and, and talk to them about there's all these different resources about networking and interviewing and internships and all of this stuff that I learned literally in a professional level. And I kept bringing it back to my own community and educating them one-on-one. And then it got to a point where I was like, wow, like this really needs to kind of grow at scale where I want to be able to give these resources to my own community, but do it in a way where it's not saying you have to be part of mainstream USA and you have to kind of waspify yourself. It's like, no, you can hold on to your identity and be really proud of it and use the jobs that your family had in the past as inspiration and build on that and really kind of move into the future, particularly for younger Italian Americans as they're applying to college and entering the workforce. How do you navigate owning and being proud of your identity, but also often being 
the first person in your family to do something. So a lot of us are the first maybe to go away to college or the first to have a white collar job or the first to just be in a field that no one in your family even understands. So it's like, okay, we need to be there for each other to support each other because a lot of us are pioneers in a lot of what we're doing. And the reality is the support is just not there in the broader world. And we need to be able to be there for each other so we can be down to earth and support each other and say, yeah, I, I had challenges with that also. And really kind of bring that family, that sense of extended family into the idea of developing as a professional. It's really interesting to me because coming from the background that I do at the National Italian American Foundation for uh, many years and being around a lot of Italian Americans who were entrepreneurial, who were, you know, Gen 1 entrepreneurs who built stuff that got passed on or, or grew or went public and things like that. I always found it very fascinating to see kind of the different reasons that Italian Americans participated in the institutions, you know, and, and we talk about this a lot, Pat and I, there are some who participated in institutions out of a sense of pride. And it was, you know, I achieved this and this is my chance to show the world that through all the struggles and all of the resistance, we as a people can achieve. And so there was that sort of, you know, chest pounding pride. There were others who did it out of a sense of nostalgia or preservation, but there was a lot of people who participated because even at the highest levels of success, and this is from the conversations I had with them or, or even just my sort of gut feeling around some of them, you could tell that they were very comfortable at you know the boardroom or on television or this and that and the other, but they were most comfortable in the safety of the community. There was that tribal sense of safety that it was empowering and made it easier to grow and, and, to, and to risk, I think. Because they deep down knew that their so-called peers would never ever accept them. I really believe that. I, I don't know. And I think that's going to change because I think that there is a certain integration. I mean, there's a whole, it's not all a negative story. There is an integration in America. But I think that if you talk to young kids today, they, they, they tie American discrimination. It just doesn't register with them, which is a positive. Yeah. But I think especially the boomers, being that first generation that kind of broke through that ceiling, they absolutely felt as other. Yeah. And I think they try to overcompensate. Some of them, not all of them, but some of them try to overcompensate. No, I really, you know, they work so hard to whitewash themselves. I'm so happy you brought that up in terms of like the overcompensating and like the whitewashing themselves, because that is a big part of the motivation of this organization as well is not having to do the whitewashing at all. Because a lot, I completely have seen that exactly what you're saying in terms of like, okay, I'm going to fit in by just trying to literally fit in. So I'm going to give up my Italianness. Yes, I'll keep the last name, but I'm going to try to fit in with this other culture where our goal is to completely do the opposite. I mean, bond over things that we have in common and that we're proud of. Um, For example, um, I was talking about earlier how my father is an immigrant to this country from Italy. And when he was a kid in Italy, he had an outhouse growing up. I have one of my best friends. He's an entrepreneur. He's very successful. His father's also from Italy. And his father also had an outhouse growing up. And being able to like bond over that and like that being the conversation and then yes then you can jump to oh well, no, are you looking for any interns or 
do you have any advice about these different things? You're starting at this point of owning your identity and being proud of your identity. It builds your confidence. Like you said, um, being able to have risk, in a, which is very different than starting from a point where you're trying to kind of put up a facade yeah. to fit into another group to be successful. And especially when you talk about professional development, right? Because you know, for, for those who are not aware terminologically, you know, professional development obviously encapsulates so much, but but it ranges everything from actual, you know, PD, where in some professions you have to take a certain amount of hours and and you know train in different classes or certifications, things like that. Some of it is training for things like interviews and you know like career growth, but professional development also encapsulates just mentorship and and that camaraderie of mentorship and i think like you say even if it's not the generation before where people felt inclined to have to wear a facade or or wash away some ethnic quality to them even now in an era when generally italian americans are accepted and young people coming out of universities might not realize a generation prior to them gave up something to to give them that access or, or whatever that process is I think it's really interesting to see how people relate to one another, even very different versions of Italian Americans. So, you know, you, you may be the, the first generation and dad grew up in it with an outhouse and there may be another person who's third or fourth generation, but you get those one or two little connectors that are cultural familiarity. And it does allow you to be yourself in a different way, feel included in a different way, feel within. And for me, what I've seen in, in terms of, you know, like mentorship programs that we used to run at NIAF and things like that, there's a depth that you connect to one another that's different. So I said on last week's show, when I worked at NIAF, yes, I was a hired executive. I, I answered to 40 people, but they were 40 Italian Americans who, whether I liked it or not, even if we screamed at each other in board meetings, they became like aunts and uncles because we shared so much in common. Had I been the executive director of you know the, the American Cancer Society, it never would have happened that way. That professional and personal bound is unbreakable. Uh, in most cases. So I think the idea that you can become so close and base your relationship, networking, mentorship, whatever it is, on that shared culture and background, I think it's very empowering. Yeah, it's very empowering because you're you're flipping the narrative. So instead of saying this is something that I have to hide or be embarrassed about or be scared to ask questions, you're leading with it in those conversations. And this was something, this, this initiative was something I had wanted to do for, for a while. I was actually in a doctorate program at Columbia, um, the doctorate version of one of my master's degrees. So adult organization development, I was not in the doctorate version. I was originally going to be doing research specifically on um, how Italian Americans navigate leadership in the workplace and particularly how Italian American women navigate leadership in the workplace was right around the time that the book lean in by Sheryl Sandberg came out and it was getting a lot of acclaim, but it was also getting a lot of pushback. And it was basically an advice book for women in careers. So I read it actually had a, I had to read it for my job and it was so unrelatable <laughs> to me every possible way like, so Cheryl Sandberg and her brother went to Harvard but at one point she was talking about how her grandmother um I believe it was her grandmother or her great-grandmother had a PhD in art history <laughs> yeah I get I mean, that just I like told... this like aside like my grandmother had a PhD in art history I was like 
I like I wanted to just close the book. <laughs> yeah, of course. And it's like, you know, it's it's not in any way being a hater at all. I mean, that's that's absolutely amazing. But this is also someone giving this generalized advice to people. And it's like your advice might might apply to like your community, but it does not apply to mine because both my grandmothers like didn't go past middle school. Yeah. So it's it's just like a different there's different hurdles involved and there are so many different things. And the big thing there is like, oh, you know, one day you'll get more, you'll get successful. So you can just hire a nanny. So you can work 24 hours a day. And the values were just so much about kind of like this Puritan work ethic of like work, 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 work. And the family is like an obstacle. It's, it's mm. in the way. You should write a book on that. You have a book right there. You know how Thomas More wrote for Henry VIII, the <laughs> reply to Luther? Yeah. The, the the kind of blowing apart all the Lutheran heresies for Henry the Eighth mm-hmm. was it called De, Sa- De Sacramenti? You should do the that version. You should do Victoria. Thank you so much for saying that. That was actually kind of my motivation when I was in the doctorate program. I was like, okay, you're going to do the dissertation. I'll become a book and and all of that. So there was a few challenges of why I left the doctorate program. One was there was such a lack of research that already existed on Italian Americans and careers and leadership, there's almost nothing. So a big part of when you're doing those research things, you're taking other people's works and you're kind of making something of it. And there was very, very little. So there, there was that. But the other piece, which was kind of ironic, was that I was almost becoming the research. And what I mean by that is I was working, I was working during the day, I was doing the doctorate program, I was doing all this work constantly. I was like in this Columbia bubble and I wasn't putting my family first. I wasn't putting myself first. I wasn't being holistic. So I was studying it and I was literally living it. Um, And it was a a tremendous financial expense. So I was kind of prioritizing the approval of, you know, people who approve your dissertation and all of that. But the more I was doing that, the more I was getting further and further away from my own family and my own values. So I was like, no, what, this isn't my, my main goal is to maybe potentially to write a book one day and to have an organization to support my people. So let me just like do it. Like I don't necessarily have to put all this energy into, into this. So it was an amazing opportunity but it was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to live with the research is about than just you know, write about it. But a main reason why I actually applied for the program, got into the program, was because of one of the only other Italian-Americans that I interacted with. She was a professor in that department. So I was already in the master's degree program. And they did like a lunch thing, like a, like a get to know the faculty type of lunch thing. And we all went around and, and said our names. One of the faculty members, her last name was Volpe. She comes up to me at the end and she's like, what did you say your last name was? <laughs> and I said, I said my name. And she goes, an Italian girl here? Huh. And I was just, wow. Say that again. Repeat that. So everyone digests that. And she meant it in a nice way because she was Italian. She was an Italian girl here. Like she, as the faculty member at the end of the event came up to me. Well, usually it's the other way around. She came up to me to be like, what is your last name? All this stuff. So I was, I was floored. And she then quickly said to me, because I was chatting a little bit. And then she quickly said to me, 
why aren't you applying for the doctorate program? Like, why aren't you applying for the doctorate version of this degree? And literally it had never crossed my mind. It was just like, not, it was just, I don't know, very other to me. Yeah. Um, so I was extremely flattered by it. And she's like, I'm going to teach you about the program to see if you're interested in it. What, and she lived in Jersey. She's like, why don't you come to my house? Wow. I'm going to invite other people over who have done the program. And I'm going to make you dinner. See, she's Italian. Yeah. Thank you. And she made me sauce. She made me meatballs. <laughs> she made me everything. She invited her brother over. My parents drove me because it was in Jersey. And I didn't know where I was going because I was like living in the city. So I didn't have a car. <laughs> And I'm like, mom, dad, you have to get cannoli from home. Like you have to like bring cannoli with you <laughs> so I can have it. So it's like, I'm there with like the box with like like the white and red ribbon and her brother's there and all this stuff. And, and you would never know that she was a professor because she's in the kitchen, like cooking sauce. Yeah, but stop right there. <laughs> you, you don't even realize the subliminal messages you put out. You would never think she was a professor because she was there cooking sauce. Yeah. Because you, it's been so drilled into your head that you're repeating their narrative. Exactly. Yeah, it's true. Exactly. And it was that like seeing like the duality of that and being like, wow, like, I can really have a conversation with her and, and, and talk about my fears and all that stuff with getting involved in this. And the fact that she was really welcoming and she invited other like her past students there as well. Her brother was there. So that was really that was really transformative, but it was also a completely rare opportunity. It just happened by chance. So the fact that I was able to get that support, I was like, wow, if, if I could create that for other people moving forward, how transformative that would be for other people. It's such a great example of what's right about being Italian American when somebody has done that before and pioneered and been the first person there to sort of reach back and say, hey, I, I, you're identifiably Italian American let me take you under my wing. I mean, we've all encountered that somewhere, you know? I mean, I, I can remember I did a job in Texas for about eight, nine months, and I was a complete fish out of water. And um, it was a very difficult time in my life professionally and personally. And the lady that hired me was an Irish lady who grew up in an Italian enclave in Kansas City. And I was, you know, just kind of off my game. And she said, you just need more Italians. And so she introduced me to my buddy, Charlie Tirano in Dallas. I had no idea there was Italians in Dallas, you know, and he took me to the club and he took me to where they grocery shop so I could get a Manhattan special in Dallas. And, and you know, he just took me immediately under his wing. I mean, we're still lifelong friends, him and our families, everybody's very close. But this guy just adopted me because he knew I was struggling and we had that bond and it was just, a I, you know, everybody that I met in Texas, wonderful people, nice people. Um, but this was just a different depth to that relationship. So I'm so proud to see that at a place like Columbia. But you bring up an interesting point, you know, I know you guys are doing, uh, you know, uh, events and um, networking opportunities and things like that. I, I think one of the ones that you will be having in the future or maybe you've had already is with Rachel Russo, who's been on our show. Is that right? You got her coming on yes. in the future. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I found Rachel's show really instructive on a lot of these conversations we have with, with other guests, because for those who haven't listened, Rachel is what we call the Italian-American matchmaker. She's a relationship guru. I'm a shot. Yeah, I'm a shot. Yeah, she said that was her <laughs> discount code. Um, and it's a great episode in the archive if you want to listen to it called uh, What If I Just Want to Marry an Italian? But, you know, we had that conversation about, like, is it okay to embrace that difference and, and you know, acknowledge that even multiple generations removed from the immigrant experience, there are things about our family structure that are challenged by the modern American 
trends in academia and in the professional world and how do you how do you grasp what's okay to hold on to even if it seems counterintuitive in popular culture so you know living near family you know everybody now prioritizes job and if you get a good opportunity and okay i'm going to up and go to seattle and that's great and it's wonderful and it's healthy but do you lose something and is it okay to feel like the priority should be your family we're, we're always trying to explain ourselves away I had a friend who went to a very, very good law school, an Italian-American, and I was at a social event. It had to be right after 2000, maybe the very early 2000s. And I swear to God, I hadn't eaten organic peach from Whole Foods. That was the greatest peach in my life. And the juice just ran down my face like Niagara Falls. It was an out-of-body experience. And the peach was so good, I saved the peach pit. And I said, I'm going to grow a tree from this pit. And so I went to this party of all these Ivy League educated lawyers and I was going off about I'm so happy I got the peach pit do you think I could turn the peach pit into a tree and I, and I was going like this was like one of the greatest moments like I knew my existence I understood my existence from eating this peach it was like a, it was like a, a communication with the divine and a girl who had gone to Yale who was away from Yale said to my Italian American friend is there something wrong with him <laughs> now there is and she was like that's like she was like why would someone care about it peach so what are you going to talk about lady yeah like yeah. you know your conversations a heck of a lot more interesting than mine i mean i don't want to come out you know like and she just wrote me off and i thought to myself when well, my friend my friend was embarrassed said, you know you can't say this kind of because you know she i think she was kind of like put off by it and i was like why does this lady care that i i, I fell in love with a peach <laughs> like why like just and she was going like like you know don't bring him around anymore he's strange and that's when I thought to myself, the people in NIAF would have been asking me if I could get a, if they could get a seed from this peach. Yeah. The NIAF conversation was, well, when you grow the tree, <laughs> give me a peach and I'll have, is the peach that good? Where did it come from? And Italian conversation would have been breaking down. Where did the peach tree come from? And Italian world, I don't think this would have been considered a weird conversation. And that is the moment when I realized I'm never going to fit in with these people. I think that speaks to what you're trying to do with the leadership network, because the fact that in 2020 we can have both the business and intellectual conversation, but if the peach pit comes up, we can find people who are interested in grafting from it. That says that we warrant our own vehicles for this kind of stuff. Is that kind of where you're, you're building? Cause like, I, I wonder what is your vision for a new Italian American leadership network that makes it different than the institutions that already exist? Right. That's a great question. It's like, what's the void and what are the filling? So essentially, one is that it's very, I mean, yes, it's open to everyone, but very front and center. There is an emphasis on college students, the Gen Z generation, millennial generation. So it's open to everyone, but that's like, it's not an afterthought. It's not just like, oh yeah, we should also do that. It's really welcoming them in. But a big part of it is having really personal conversations part of all of this and direct career education so for example what we're launching on monday is ways to do direct career counseling one-on-one with me so that's the same exact thing that i offered that was my job at columbia and barnard so now it's like okay i want to offer this direct to my community so you can make an appointment get that direct career counseling we're doing a five-week course on resume cover letter interviewing networking very practical in that way and then as i 
develop people in the community looking for internships. Rachel Russo, as an example, um, reaching out to her, she's looking for an intern. I'm working with her to get her an intern. So it's not simply the like events. Some of the events are great. And it's, I mean, it's awesome. I got to talk to Pat, at, at, you know, a small little event that we did, but it really is that direct career education. In addition, so for college students and for high school students, we have a college initiative. So we have a campus organizing guide. So if you want to start an Italian American club at your school, you could follow this guide. We can give you guidance. There's ideas for programming. If there is already an Italian American organization at your high school or college, and there are some, you can take it to the next level with these resources. We're going to bring all the people together. So let's say there's a school that has an Italian-American studies program, which is amazing, but your school doesn't. Being able to say, okay, these are faculty members that talk about these different things. They could do a Zoom program for you. So even though we're not taught about the amazing things that you all talk about, like the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies and just overall the history of the history of Italian Americans, we don't, we know this, we don't learn this in our, you know, typical American high school. So most Italian Americans don't, we don't even know our own history. Yeah. So by saying that, okay, we're going to work with you to start Italian American organizations in your high school and college, and we're going to give you suggestions for programs, suggestions for books to read. So you can learn about the kingdom of two Sicily. So you can learn about the different immigration patterns, why people immigrated here, the fact that Italian Americans do have a history of activism and leadership, particularly in the labor movement. So I mean, that was something that really stood out to me in school, learning about a lot of what I learned about was about social movements and um, the suffragette movement, the women's rights movement, all that. But there was never, ever an Italian name ever mentioned. Yeah. So I'm like loving history. I love sociology, all these things. I'm like, is there a vowel anywhere? <laughs> yeah, it's um, true. I'm like, we had to be doing something. Like we were around, like what yeah. were we doing? So being able to say, okay, these are books about this. These are professors that teach about this. So doing that on the high school and college level mixed with the actual direct career education, the same career education that I did for students and alums at Columbia and Barnard, which was the resume, the cover letter, the networking, the interviewing, how to do an informational interview, all of that. So it's like, okay, you're owning the identity and you're getting these practical skills. So then when you go on to network with people within this organization, you're able to talk about, you can jump right into talking about internships or you could talk about these different things that you learned and come at it from a more personal family type level, which will also build the confidence, especially if you are the first in your family to be in a particular career or go away to college. There's this sense of, okay, like we're all coming from the same background. Like we get you. It's much more family oriented and it's consistent. So for example, I spend at least an hour a day DMing, emailing people, like at least an hour a day. Like I probably sure. I can't think of how many hours I actually do it. <laughs> building relationships with people. And like, you should talk to this person. You should do this. Are you looking for an intern? I know this person. So by me getting to know the different people in a, in a very human way, I then get to connect all the people. And something consistently that I find, because then after I was um, at Columbia, 
I, I moved back to by where my family's from. So now I'm back in an Italian American community and working with students and recent graduates here. It's amazing because it's so different than the work that I did at Columbia, even though technically it's the same work. The challenges are very different that the students and the recent graduates are going through. A lot of them, they're trying to fit, like they're trying to convince their family to do an internship because it's unpaid and their parents are like, what is an internship? Why, why is this not, why is this not paid? I went through the same exact thing. I was the first person in my family to do an internship and it was at this really cool organization in Soho and I was so excited and I come home from the summer from going away to school and my father completely flipped out. He was like, what do you mean you're not being paid? Like you would have thought it was like human trafficking. He's like, where did you find this job? Like he, like, it was like, he did not think I was doing anything that was like legit because of that. And then because it was unpaid, like he had to pay for the, like the train ticket back and forth. Like there was not a sense of like, oh, this is a valuable thing. This is kind of how you move up the ranks and in the culture I was like what is this like what do you mean you're getting you're not getting paid for what you're doing so that was actually a common thing that came up even more recently with a lot of the students and the recent graduates that I I work with is having those conversations with their families about okay well this is the type of job that I have to do or I have to go to graduate school or I want to go away to college um all those like little kind of nuanced things that for a lot of people and I just said like kind of mean mainstream USA um they, they, they don't have to have those conversations yeah in the same way and then so by being a career counselor working with an Italian American community the conversations are so enriched they're so interesting and then people start to talk about their families, um, something that never, ever happened at Columbia and Barnard Career Counseling Sessions is people never talked about family when they were talking about trying to figure out what they want to do for work mm-hmm. in the future, but it does come up with Italian-Americans. So you'll you'll literally be talking to like an 18-year-old and they'll be saying, they'll, they'll bring up like work-life balance and like, I want to have kids one day and I don't want to move away from my family. And like, I want to do this job, but this job is far away. And instead of being like, oh no, that's wrong. And kind of going to that like Sheryl Sandberg, like lean in vibe. Yeah. Like, you have to put a hundred percent into this. Yeah. Not discounting it and being like, I get it. I totally get it. I had a friend who did very well as an attorney, went to like a, an Ivy school and they were dealing some kind of international transaction. It was some kind of deal they were working on. And there was a conference call booked for like December 24th at 8 p.m. <laughs> and she's like, I can't be on the conference call. It's Christmas Eve. And she was just balled out. Wow. You know, like, and they're like, it's Chris. And they were just like, you got, you're kidding me. And that, that's a real story. And I, I would hear stuff like that. And I was just absolutely stunned because I come from a world that's like so far removed. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
then again, we're not as we're not enough of a protected class that someone say, "Oh, that's your cultural." I'm going to leave you alone for that. You know exactly. Yeah, and, and you know, I rarely, rarely do I allow myself the like comparison to other new groups because times are different and sensitivities are different. And you know, I'm very very happy that other ethnic groups are coming into this country. Of course, they're encountering much resistance, many of them, but some of the things that we had to break through, they don't have to. And that's a good thing because the country should get better about becoming a mosaic over time and integrating people versus assimilating people. I think that's a good progression for the country. And if our scar tissue prevents it from having to others, I don't begrudge them that. I, I hate when people say, oh, well, you know, we did this or our people did that. You know, that's not that's not the way the system works. But I will say you're absolutely right, Pat. That that fine line between what's protected and what's culturally sensitive and what's not, you know, I've had the very similar interactions around like a, a day like Christmas Eve and people's expectations and what they want to do and what you know. For, and you wish sometimes that some of the values and traditions and and pieces of our culture were understood in a different way because you know we're we're a unique group and those are things that are important. I, I could I couldn't have understood why. Her saying to them, like, can I not be on the conference call? It's my holiday with my family and blah, blah, blah. Even if it was someone who was from a different culture who said that to me, I'd say, yeah, sure, no problem. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I couldn't imagine that the, the meanness that they did, which is basically like, basically, if you want to get anywhere within the firm, comments like that, you're not right. gonna, like, you got to be kidding me. Like, who really cares? And I know somebody else. They said to their boss that they were they was in a firm where they were working like seven days a week, and he's like, "It's my, it's my nephew's christening. It's my brother's kid's christening." And they're like, "Well, like, well, can you come back after the ceremony?" <laughs> you know, and he's like, "I, I guess he's a godfather baby." He's like, "They, they just," and they kind of gave him the same thing of like, you know, apparently this job doesn't mean that much to you. And you know, it's that's a point where I kind of feel like you do have to put your foot down and your flag in the ground and like you know victoria you you through your professional degrees and through your work experience you know you focus a lot on women's issues and that's an interesting dichotomy as well particularly in the italian american community because yes there's many people who are progressive but i think even in second third generation families there's still a very distinct gender role and like i brought up earlier it's similar to the conversation we have with rachel russo you know some of our more traditional values they're okay to have, you know, like exactly. I've met professional Italian American women who bemoan the idea that there are colleagues they have or, or professional development seminars for women that go into that lean in and, and discount family. And, you know, they, they preach this gospel of it's okay to separate these things. And, and I think we need our kind of third way that says, well, you know, we, we have something that works for us. And do you see that a lot? I mean, as a, as a woman in this field in particular, yeah, no, I'm absolutely so happy you brought that up. So undergrad, so undergrad, I didn't go to Columbia. Undergrad, I went to the State University of New York at New Paltz, which I absolutely loved. And I wanted to, it was hard to get into, but it was also affordable. And I didn't want to kind of burden my my parents financially. So, but I absolutely loved it. And I ended up majoring in, it's a long, it's a long major, women, gender, and sexuality studies with a concentration in history and politics and a minor in sociology. Not on, not me. <laughs> so, I mean, I loved it. It was super, super fascinating, but again, not seeing any vowels. And it was very much like, we have to change everything because the way things currently are, everything's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, some of it, I really, 
I really like, whether it's as simple as like, I really like the color pink and I also really like cooking and I like makeup. I mean, there was a scenario where it didn't happen to me. It happened to one of my friends who was also Italian, a graduate year older than me. She came back for an event, like an alumni event. And she was wearing high heels. And one of the professors of that program was like, I can't believe you're wearing that here. And we used some of us like before going to class would like kind of change our clothes a little bit, like to be more like neutral. Well, what do they want you in those Maoist outfits that they used to wear in the Cultural <laughs> Revolution? Uh-huh. I mean, I thought I heard it all, but you you got me today on the heels. Congratulations. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. So what were oh, you supposed God. to wear? Army boots? I mean, what oh, was it? Birkenstocks? You want to wear high heels? Leave her alone. What do you care? Yeah, I mean, it was basically kind of this this culture in which if you wanted to wear high heels or makeup or prioritize your family or anything like that, it was just like, oh, you're not. Well, who, who who holds the conch cell on this? Like, who did you have a big meeting and we're going to say, okay, we're going to vote you. You're the head of this entire thing. We're going to anoint you and you're going to make these. I mean, who makes these decisions? Right. And I think that's a big part of it is that we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But what was so interesting, I'm just realizing, and now that now that we brought it up, was that I actually met Dolores, podcast Dolores, a couple of years ago, like two, three years ago, at another event that I was doing. And a couple of years ago, um, the theme of Italian Heritage Month was like the contributions of women. Yeah. So I invited her to be the speaker at an event I was organizing, and she did an amazing job talking about the contributions of women in the Italian American community and how she owns her Italianness. And it was awesome. Like every Italian person, and it was mostly Italians, but there were some people who weren't who were just there to kind of learn, loved it. And then I went back to work because I also work for a local university. And one of the professors there, not Italian American, <laughs> um, she had some of her students attend and the non-Italian American students told the professor that they were offended by some of the stuff that was said about women. What did you say that offended them? Uh, they were upset about something that the lawyer said. It was about like how we talk, she talked about like family and like making family a priority and they were offended by this. I was like, how is that I- offensive? <laughs> but see, but this is what we have to fight back. See, we're already well. Get out of my face. Go, go take a walk. <laughs> you, this is asinine because we tolerate stupidity. It has to be a, a moment when someone says this is just. It's like someone telling me the moon is made out of cheese. That is just ridiculous. Okay, I'm not going to sit here. And maybe if someone was mentally incapacitated, a child of three years old, and they were trying to tell me that the moon is made of cheese, I might have a long conversation with them trying to tell them the moon is not made of cheese. I think it's pretty set. The moon is not made of cheese. When they come out and say that to her, mentioning family is offensive. We should we should cancel culture then. Not for not to be nasty. So what you're saying is nonsense. It's just nonsensical. Right. And I think to John's point earlier, it's really about seeing the nuance in all of these topics. And especially for people, I mean, I'm in my 30s. So especially coming at this from a nuanced perspective of my generation, you know, my father's, you know, I'm first generation on my father's side. My mother's side is very little Italy, Manhattan Italian. And um they did experience, I mean, women in particular, they did experience challenges based on gender. Absolutely. Like my mom wasn't allowed to go to college because she was a girl. She got like perfect grades in high school and she really, really wanted to go to Barnard, which is the um, 
Columbia School for Women. And at, the, at that time, uh, Columbia didn't allow women or Vassar, but she was told by her father that she wasn't allowed to, to go to college. So she ended up going to Brooklyn College that was literally almost free. And then she ended up getting her master's degree, becoming a professional, doing all these cool things. But she was also there for us. And she also made the family, and she still does, make the family a priority. But it was a struggle. It was absolutely a struggle. So it's to say that we're we're acknowledging all of these things and that the women in our community have had challenges on thousand percent and still do, but there's also incredible things about our culture, both men and women that I love the fact that we're able to integrate our family lives and our work lives. I was thinking about this the other day, how there's like a Puritan work ethic. And I'm like, I have an Italian work ethic, (laughs) which to me means I put my holistic self into the mix of the professional things that I'm doing. And like, even with my interns who I absolutely love, Julia and Christina, um, we'll be doing work. We'll be doing things over text because we do a lot of stuff remotely. And if they're going through like a bad day, if they're going through stuff with their family, the conversation changes. We are now talking about their family, what they're going through. I mean, there's been situations where I've been up until like, 11 o'clock at night, one o'clock in the morning, whatever, texting with them because they're going through something. And I'm also a mentor for them. And it's much more, there's like family type of dynamic. And if the work doesn't have to actually get done by the next day, then it is what it is. We have to prioritize. Anyway, that's why when you order a package from Italy in May, it comes in like, (laughs) I mean, like in the hole. (laughs) I mean, there's a, there's a dividend that that pays out, but See, but this is where I call it like an integrated perspective mm-hmm. in the sense that your mother couldn't go to school because your grandfather felt, that, why am I going to educate a girl so they go marry someone? Right. Like that was a mentality. And there were other people who had parents that said, well, why am I going to send you to school? We have a business. We're butchers, mm-hmm. right? You're going to spend four years wasting school when you could be a butcher or you could be a shoemaker, right? So I'm trying to say is your, your problem was because your, your particular instance was that your mother was a woman. Other people have it. You know, the parents were against education um, because why are you going to go do that when we have the business? And it's not lessening what your mother went through. It's showing that there's a mosaic of descending degrees of color almost where these are these are separate problems, but they're integrated into the whole. Because I've said for a long time, one of the marks on our community is we were not as pro-education as we said we were, right? Right. Yeah. That's a real conversation we can have. And I enjoy having and I entertain having. Once you bring that to patriarchy and and high heels i'm sorry you lost it's <laughs> but, no, but, but that's lost a, that's a great point to why i think it's important that victoria's undertaken what she's undertaken because there's institutions in our community you talk about the void right that were there and created in a time when italian americans needed to network because they were facing barriers to entry in the professional world and you needed that sort of strength in numbers and it sounds to me like what you've developed now and what you're pursuing, which I think is brilliant, is the idea that, okay, you may not be facing barriers to entry, but there may be unfamiliar parts to it based on your social experience. And even for those who are not coming at it for the first generation and may have the uh, resources and experience to say, okay, you know, I, I get how to do a resume or interview, whatever it is, there's still some sense that whatever the popular prevailing culture theory is in, in, in the workplace or in whatever you're pursuing, 
it's okay for us to have our own version of that. And it's okay for us to collectivize around the idea that this is something inherent to our self-identity and just being able to have those conversations, like you say, where you're working with Italian Americans and, and the conversation may turn from professional to personal, you know, obviously I encountered that in my job, I've worked as a professional Italian American for all these years, for many years being surrounded by and working within my own community. I've had people say to me, you know, you, you really can't have conversations with people who work for you about personal things or, and like I said earlier, you know, there were board members that I worked for that were assigning my paycheck, but I could talk to them about my life and my, my personal stuff because we were bonded in this heritage, but also because for us, that's okay. And, you know, I understand there's professional limits and obviously behaviors that you have to consider, but have we gone too far in depersonalizing and dehumanizing what it means to be, you know, COVID's helped do this, but I always say one thing about Italians that I am sure people can agree on is we're really good at being human, about focusing on family and food and your life and the balance that's inherent to who we are. So we're in a society that's continually dehumanizing our experience and and, and creating this very rote, difficult, uh, canceled culture. And yeah, maybe it's collected around one another that we can resist that a little bit. Right. That's a great point. And I feel like with being able to be open like that, you are able to share your goals and you're also able to share your insecurities and coming from a leadership professional development perspective, it's very easy to get caught up in thinking everyone knows more than you and kind of imposter syndrome and all of that. And when I'm able to be really open about my background, it allows other people to open up. So for example, my grandfather, my mother's father, he was born here and they had a very, very successful um, baker in Little Italy and in Brooklyn. And because of that, and he was the youngest. So his, by the time he was around, his family was doing uh, financially well. And he was of that generation that was much more about trying to become Americanized. Um, He named his children all English names. So everyone's named after like English royalty (laughs) (laughs) and really just grew up on like these like very like white Anglo-Saxon movies and all that. So he learned that if he went to New York Military Academy, he would have access to a horse. (laughs) So because of that, that was his motivation. And he did really, really well in school. So that way he can end up going to New York Military Academy. He went to school in the summer so we can get like more advanced so that we can get there. And he got there and all that. Through New York Military Academy, it really just kind of like bumped him up from a socioeconomic perspective. And he ended up getting into Georgetown, which was like unheard of in his community. And he's there and he eventually drops out. A main reason why he dropped, he also had dyslexia and learning disabilities that I also have, and they weren't diagnosed, especially then that people didn't know what that was. Um, So I inherited those things. So it's interesting navigating them now in 2020 versus I have so much sympathy for him then. Yeah. Um, But one of that wasn't like the main, a main thing was that developing relationships at Georgetown 
and being the odd person out, he was dating a debutante <laughs> when he was in DC at Georgetown. And eventually she was like, you, I want my family to meet you. You have to meet my family. And he cared about her very much, but he's like, I have to, we have to end this relationship because there's no way your family can meet my family and they won't accept me. And I just don't fit in here. And he was really, really upset. And his mom kept calling him saying, it's kind of to Pat's point, like, why are you in college? Like, just come back. Like we have a bakery, like, what are you doing? And then, so kind of being caught between that world and the world of like, I'm not in the debutante group. I I don't fit in. Um, And then he ended up, he ended up leaving. And so many stories like that. So when I'm able to share a story like that, whether it's one-on-one when I'm doing career counseling or if I'm doing public speaking, then you'll have other people feel comfortable to open up. And I'll have students who, I mean, now they're young professionals, but I knew them as students saying, I had no idea how to apply for college. My parents didn't go to college. I'm the oldest of my siblings. So then I worked on my applications for all my other siblings and I kind of become this big sister to them because we're navigating these things. Yes, we're doing the interview prep, but through the interview prep, we're talking about their insecurities and why they should be really proud of themselves. So it's someone once called me their uh, career therapist and a lot to me because it was kind of to Pat's point earlier in terms of like fusing together the professional and the personal and really owning that and, and think and feeling that we as a community have a lot to add to the conversation in terms of work-life balance and parental leave and how we navigate all these different things and living close to your family. And that's a positive thing. And all the nuanced things about our culture are all things that I feel like we should be openly talking about. But the wreck of the world today is on their hands because they have created this crazy world. It's not us. Yeah, but you know what? I think about this a lot from my background as well, not as highly uh, educated and decorated as yours. I'm, I was a sociologist and anthropologist. I don't know how I ended up doing this, but one of the things I keep coming back to is for the past 70 years, but for better or worse, America has been the real hegemon of what a global culture and, and really values mean in, in a lot of cases. Obviously there's, there's cases that are counter and resist the exportation of American values and things like that. But for the, for the Western world, you know, America sort of sets the tone. I think everybody can agree on that. And I think what people don't understand about coming to America from an ethnic background, particularly one like ours, which is so ancient and deep and, and so developed over time, is we live in the first country in the world to be born out of a social experiment you know, the idea of a nation state, right? Italy is both a nation and a state. It's a state in that it has set borders and it's an Italian Republic, but Italy is also theoretically a nation of Italic people with a shared culture language. Now we can go, I think we can go for weeks on whether or not that's really the case, but my point being, it's a nation state. America is a state of many nations. And so there is no sort of roadmap for America, like there are for other places subconsciously, right? This is an open-ended experiment. We, we, we know where we want it to go, or people have versions where they want it to go and visions for where they want it to go, but it's unprecedented, really. So when you come in with all of this blood memory and all of this built-up sociological tint to your view, it's very, very hard sometimes to reconcile those things. And because it's such a fast-moving stream, 
particularly now in a global world where, you know, we create something like a TikTok and everybody in the world is on it. And now, you know, it's, I mean, obviously TikTok's Chinese, but the point being this whole movement comes out of a country that is in many ways um, rocketing into a few, an unknown future different than other countries do. Other countries have had all of this deep experience to say, you know what, we don't have to go in that direction. We're, we're good here. We, we know our lane. America has no lane. So it's like a, it's like a, a rocket. And I often feel like the onus is on us to say, wait a minute, let's pause. It is okay to be, call it what you want, old fashioned, family oriented, these things. They, yes, they may run counter to, to this galloping horse of modern society, but that galloping horse is not on a route. It doesn't know where it's going. And maybe we feel a little bit more like we do sometimes. And it's okay to embrace that. I, I, I get very sad when I see things that I know have given our people strength for millennia being poo-pooed and cast aside uh, because it's not, you know, it's, it's not trendy or, you know, and this idea that, you know, like you tell that story about your grandfather. And I think a lot of people's initial reaction would be, Oh, what a shame. And I think, no, you know what? That's great. That's great that the guy had the foresight to understand what he was and what his family meant and what the comfort zone of that is. And it's, you know, I keep coming back to Rachel, but I find this trend in a lot of our episodes, we're talking about, it's okay to be Italian, you know, it's okay to put family first. It's okay to say, you know, I dated a lot of women before I met my wife. I can say people will criticize me for it constantly. Her and I have an unspoken language of the things that we just assume and know about each other based on a shared culture. Doesn't mean we agree on everything that of that culture, but it, it's, it's a lot different. That is super deep, John. Oh, it's so, it's that so. That is a good, that, that's like the, that, that is the deepest comment we've had in 2020. Say it again, John, it's an assumed. There's things that we don't have to negotiate. Even look, there are things about our Italianness that are different. I'm very, very uh, devout practicing Roman Catholic. She's a sort of cultural Catholic. So we, we do navigate those things. I'm not saying you marry an Italian person and everything is, you know, sunshine and daisies. What I'm saying is. There are certain things that even if we disagree on, there's a fundamentally uh, long-standing shared understanding of why they're important or, or why, you know, so like the idea of moving away from your family. There's plenty of places in the world I would love to live, and I'm sure she would too, and we talk about it. But at the end of the day, it's not a realistic conversation because we want to be near our families. And, and I think that those commonalities in heritage just make it easier, and the same applies in a professional setting. Absolutely. And it's so funny that you bring that up because I, um, I'm divorced. I was married very briefly to someone I knew for years. We were friends, all that, uh, not Italian at all. (laughs) And it was another transformative experience for me because we were friends since college. So you would just think that then in a engagement marriage situation, it would just continue to be that way. But the differences in our cultures, our expectations, our values became so apparent. And I'm friends with him now. Like we're friends. And we were, we were literally married for like less than a year. <laughs> like this isn't working. <laughs> because things that you just assume exactly what you're saying about how it's just a natural flow just wasn't there. But then moving forward, I pretty much only date Italians and it's so natural you're just on the same page and even the problems that you have it's just a very holistic just understanding of who you are and thinking about okay 
how does this apply to all aspects of someone's life? So for example, I talk to a lot of college students and I talk to them about how to navigate college and leadership in college. And a lot of the students that I work with, they're like, I was talking to one of my uh, students the other day and she was like, I, her, her grandmother's sick now and she's like devastated. And she's like, I FaceTime with my grandmother three times a day. Like she goes to, she's, she goes to away to school. Like she lives in the residence hall. She's like, I FaceTime with her three times a day. And other student I work with, she lives at home. She commutes. She FaceTimes with her mom and her grandmother in between classes. Like these are not things yeah. that other people, and the things other people would judge that. Yes. Other people would be like, like, grow up. What do you, what do you do it? Yeah. And that's not okay. Right. It's like Pat says earlier, you know, we, we are living in a world that's increasingly aware of letting people be who they are. So why not let us be who we are? No, no, I disagree. They intrinsically are not liberal. They are selectively liberal when things fit their narrative. But in a true liberal sense, a libertarian sense, really, of do your own thing as long as you don't bother me, they are not. Yeah. Because they wouldn't mock the girl who's on the phone with the Italian mother 15th. Ma, what are you making? Ma, what are you doing? Ma, 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 ma. The mock conversation would not get under their nerves. Yes. It would not get on their nerves. So it's a selective. Yes. I just feel we just keep – it's like the Kool-Aid is coming out of the tap. tap. It's like tap water. We don't even realize it's Kool-Aid because we are so Pavlovianly conditioned to drink the Kool-Aid that we don't even know. We don't even see that the falseness of the narrative that they're truly libertarian, right? Because if that had been the case, they would have said blank, whatever her name was. Oh, she likes high heels. Mm-hmm. She chooses to wear high heels. Right. But they did not tolerate high heels because high heels did not support their narrative. Yeah. So they are not true libertarians. They are totalitarians. And the Italian-American liberation movement, the symbol should be a high heel shoe. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Just a high heel shoe. Just like a symbol. That's yeah. your symbol, the high heel shoe. I want to wear high heels. Leave me alone. Go the next time with a house dress. You want a revolution? <laughs> Get house dresses and have the print have hidden high heel shoes. Just walk in with Dolores and then let them tell you how the high, how the house. They won't even know what a house dress is. But the one who's come over, that's a sign of both. You know, let, let them attack you in, in your house dress. Yeah, that's amazing. I love it. I love it. Yeah, what's so fascinating to me about being Italian American, and I and I really feel like it's one of the biggest gifts. I could ever have experienced is that gift of being Italian American and having parents from different parts of the Italian American experience is that if I just sum it up in one word, it's like we're living nuance. We're living this U.S. culture, this immigration culture, this like, what are we ethnically? How are people viewing us? Sometimes we're accepted, sometimes we're not. And now that we are in a, I mean, we've always been in a changing world, but now that the world has been changing even faster, I think this it's, we're at this point where we really have to take a step back and kind of take an inventory of where we are and what our values are and where we want to go moving forward, which is why for me, connecting people from like professionals to people who are in still in high school and really being able to have these conversations so it's like yeah no we could we could talk about this it's not like oh that's just back in the day conversation yeah we're bringing it into the present and what's amazing to me is how many 
students that I work with, Italian-American students who I work with, who love being Italian-American. They're so passionate about it. It's a big part of their identity. So I feel like, but they need a place to, to go to connect with people. Otherwise they're going to go out into the world and it's going to get watered down. So to be able to say like, yeah, like great for you, accomplish your goals, all of those things, but we're also here for you as a community. And the nuance is acknowledging the fact that, for example, like when my mom was growing up in Brooklyn, going to public school in Brooklyn, if you, and her friends talk about this, if you had a vowel at the end of your last name, you were tracked into different classes. You were tracked in the non-college track. Mm. You were tracked to um, basically go to like school to uh, be a mechanic, like those types of classes. Vocational Um, education. Yeah, like if you were a boy, you were tracked in certain classes and if you're a girl, you tracked another one. So like college was even on that path for many, many people. So we can have those conversations but that doesn't mean that we have to be like, okay, let's reject our past and being Italians completely. It's like, how do we navigate being modern people and also embracing what makes us so special? Yeah, I can tell you for me, you know, I sought out my own venues where it dawned on me that because we moved to a suburb that didn't have a lot of Italians, I was missing something and I sought out this institutional community and I'm very impressed by the fact that you are doing what I think we're trying to do here, uh, what I call being an evangelical Italian, going out into the world and evangelizing and saying, no, 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 it's, you know, you're not, it, there's many shades of it. It's a million shades of Italian. Some people disagree on everything, but we're here for you when you need it, when you feel that distinction. And I, you know, I, I remember going to summer camp as a kid and I didn't want to go to summer camp. I mean, we lived in this suburb. I didn't want, I didn't, wasn't into canoeing and all this stuff. I was a boy scout, whatever. And I cried for like the first three days and all these camp counselors, these like Medigan guys would like, you know, sit down with me and they'd say like, you know, what's the matter with you? Like, you're going to, it's, it's almost over. You're, you're safe. You're I'm like, I'm not scared. I'm not worried. I, I want to be my family. I like my family. I don't want to eat your food. Yeah. I'm like a Sal, I don't want Salisbury steak and I'm not into canoeing. And it's not that I'm like fearful that I'm going to be left here. I'm going to die. I just want to be home with my family. I enjoy my family. Like I, you know, that was not my thing. Before your time at NIAF, there was an American linguistic uh, sleepaway camp. It's like three weeks to learn a language, right? Yeah. And they had approached NIAF and they had like German and they were like fully booked. Like it was a waiting list and they had, you know, Spanish, French, everyone was fully booked. So they said, oh, if we start an Italian one, we approach this Italian organization. We'll sell out. They couldn't sell one. <laughs> Nobody was going to the summer camp. Don't do summer camp. They don't want to go eat your food. They don't want to sleep in your bed. They don't want to have no air conditioning. School's too much dirty kid next to them. They don't want that. So day camp was a failure. They did not want day camp. I think now we have an opportunity. I think if we grow our platform the way we want to, we should have like an indoctrination Italian American summer camp available. We should like. Find I agree. S- yeah, you yeah. have to send them to the Villa Roma. Number one, they'd be three hot meals. It would all be. It would yes. be. American breakfast, Italian lunch, American dinner. So there you would know, be that, an hour walk. Between, that's my dream. And then like watermelon and ice cream about three or four o'clock. <laughs> yeah, we you know, could do that. It would be a very expensive camp. Pat, you know what? When this, when this COVID's over, my dream is for us to do either a weekend or a week adult camp where we actually rent out the Villa Roma and just – it's like basically an adult Italian-American camp with the Italian-American podcast. 
and I think we'd have the best time in the world. I you couldn't that. teach anything because no one would agree. No, 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 it's, of course it, not. We're not, like Floyd Marino says, we're not the people of the United Meatballers. <laughs> Anywhere <laughs> no. you go to Sweden, they make the same meatball. <laughs> same size, same ingredient. You can including go Ikea. Yes, right, exactly. Including Ikea. They've industrialized they've, it. They've industrialized it. We can't, people live on the same block that can't agree on a meatball recipe. How can you unite a country that can't unite around a meatball? Yeah, you're not kidding. Just the idea of Italian Americans networking. Traditional networking was just not part of our culture. And so you had one of the episodes, I believe, with your father talking about like networking was like, I know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great point. I mean, we, we're not a we're not a particularly strong diasporic people. We're a huge diaspora, but right. if you look at communities like the Jewish community, the Chinese community, uh, the Filipino community, the the, the the Irish, you know, uh, Pat always talks about how the Irish, you know, if you're one drop Irish, you go back to Ireland. It's like you come on in. We don't have that. We don't have that from Italy to us, and we don't have it with Italians and you know small numbers you know we relate to the italian canadians and stuff australia but it's not the same you know and- are there any italian canadians that listen to us or is it just norwegians i know we have a norwegian <laughs> following <laughs> now as per john but you know victoria you're right i mean networking is such a it, it's such a skill and uh it's impressive that you're taking your experience with it your professional experience with it passing it on so you know congratulations to you and i'm, I'm proud of what you're doing and happy to support it in any way we can Tell everybody before we go, first of all, you've got an event coming up in a couple of days. This show is going to be on Monday, December 7th. Pearl Harbor Day. Pearl Harbor Day, yep, absolutely. And uh, two days later, you've got an event. So tell everybody about what it is and how they can participate. Sure. So it, the it, the event is perfect transition to this conversation. So we are having a meet and greet. It's all over Zoom. Everything that we do is over Zoom And it's a meet and greet specifically for people in our private LinkedIn group. That being said, you have between now and December 9th to join the LinkedIn group. And we are really facilitating conversations. I'm always in there DMing people, connecting people. You should do an informational interview with this one. Now that we have enough of an established group, we're going to start to do these meet and greets on a monthly basis. So it's um, free, no cost. We just want you to be involved in the group so we can kind of keep in touch with you. And we do lots of events like that. And then also that same week that this that this podcast is coming out, we will be launching the one-on-one career counseling appointments with myself. We're also launching a five-week career education course specifically for our community we have a networking guide we have all these amazing resources to develop your professional development but with people who are part of your community and want to have fun with you and we also do some fun events that really have nothing to do with professional development um like our olive oil education program that we did we have an upcoming one about wine education i did it i did it highly recommended gotta be done Thank you. I'm a graduate of the Olive Oil School, Victoria's Olive Oil School. Been there, done that. Yeah, and it's just, you know, someone might say, what does that have to do with career education? It has to do with the fact that we're having bonds about things that aren't directly always having to be about resumes. But through that event, I was talking to someone who does another podcast. I'm going to be on their podcast. I got to talk to Pat, other entrepreneurs. So for us as Italian-Americans, kind of, our programming have to, has to do with like being friendly and open and human. Like you were saying, we're really good at being human. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you want to learn how to 
set up your LinkedIn profile or how to do a job interview, we're also here for you. But you know, Victoria, what you're doing is great. And um, it's, it's how I got into my career. You know, I always say, uh, first time I went to an IF gala, the gala and the networking, it meant nothing to me, the event. I mean, it was, it was interesting, but it was singing at the piano with uh, t- dozens of other kids my age and uh, Tommy Lasorda and Yogi Berra and singing Pepino the Mouse and thinking, wow, in this place, because I know Pepino the Mouse, I'm cool. And like that, that. you know, that's what made me comfortable. And that my whole life blossomed out of it. So sometimes it's about just the safety and security and love that we share and you know, in a world that doesn't necessarily talk about those things in the same way we do, I think it's great to encourage it. So well done. Uh, tell us where they can find you on the web. Sure. So links to everything. If you just go to ItalianAmericanLeadership.com, you can find everything there. Also Italian American Leadership at Instagram, Twitter. Um, I have a new Instagram account myself. Feel free to follow me. I am Victoria Passarella. And all of, all of our stuff is there. We don't do anything in person anymore because of COVID. So it makes it really convenient. You can find us wherever you are. Well, I hope everybody goes out and seeks out your good work. And uh, if we can be of any help, we're happy to do it because I strongly believe like every time we gave out a scholarship in any organization I've ever been in, I always said to the young people, this is not a reward for your good works. This is an investment in your future from people who care because you're Italian American and because they're Italian American and you need to pay it forward and you need to understand that your community based on a shared heritage has invested in you. So you're taking so much of your time and energy and resources to invest in these people. And I hope that they appreciate it as much as we do. So congratulations on your great work. And uh, hopefully everybody here enjoyed and will participate in Victoria's upcoming events and join the group. And, you know, like we always say, stay in tribe and uh, it's good to work with one another. So from all of us, the Italian American podcast, thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week. You have got the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italian if you want your life to be great. See that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born in Italiano and...